Welcome to Engage Your Tribe, a podcast about the art and science of audience engagement. I'm Jeremy Shear, and my guest is Molly Presley, Senior VP of Marketing at Hammerspace. Molly, it's great to have you on the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your background in marketing and about Hammerspace. And, and, and when you do that, talk about the name Hammerspace and where that comes from. It's a really cool story. Okay, sure, you bet. So kind of the fun lead-in, the Hammerspace name came from Japanese anima, which you kind of might wonder for a high-tech company, why would we do that? And it, it's a really <laughs> kind of cool idea that if you think about the comics, maybe you all grew up with that it was Bugs Bunny running after somebody or the road runner running after somebody and they caught them and they would pull this massive hammer right. out of their pocket. And yet their pocket was teeny tiny, quite small. Um, that space in comic strips and anima where you can store these massive big things in a very small space is where it comes from. It's actually called the hammer space. If you Google it, it's pretty interesting. Right. And, you know, from a tech perspective, we do something similar at Hammerspace, the company, where um, storing masses of amounts of data and then making it accessible globally, universally, and kind of magical sorts of way, it has a nice analog to what we do with the data business. Yeah. And then that is... myself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I guess you yeah. asked me about myself. Just really yeah. quick. Um, overview of my background. I more came from the engineering space where managing software engineering teams, program management of the development of technology, and then over time have been able to move over and work in the running the marketing department for these tech companies. And what's really interesting coming from the engineering and technical side is it gives me as a marketer a much better understanding of the challenges and the obstacles and the unique subtleties that maybe is written in some software that makes a huge difference to a customer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, thanks for that. So, so let's get into our topic. Now I know you guys are offering a new kind of product and service that, you know, new in the marketplace. So how do you let your audience know that this new thing exists without constantly having to talk about yourself? It's, it's a challenge because a lot of marketing relies on search engines and SEO right. and keywords. And somebody knows they're looking for something very specific. They Google for it and five or six companies come up and that makes the short list. Um, so now we're really in an environment where we're looking at what are the methods of engaging in the conversation with customers as they look to overcome what are somewhat new challenges in the world? The workforce has moved remotely to not just that they're not coming to the office, but maybe they've moved to their home country, which is far, far away from where they originally lived. And there's struggles from an HR perspective, from supporting those teams, but there's also struggles with how do you make data-driven employees, people who are doing research, people who are doing code development? How do you unify those people? So we're really working hard to become a part of that conversation where folks are struggling with pain points and also looking for solutions that didn't exist just even a couple of years ago. Yeah. So, so we're really sort of talking about, you know, thought leadership, kind of a buzzy term that gets thrown around, thrown around a lot. But, I, you know, I think what that really means is being a leading voice in those conversations, you know, having interesting things to say. So, I mean, let's just start right there. What does thought leadership mean to you? To me, thought le leadership is around um, first understanding the pain points of the users, not the pain points of my company. You know, we certainly have things right. we would like to talk about and we have our own pain points and those types of things, but 
really understanding what are the pain points of the folks that we want to work with. And then providing the thought leadership on not just here's a solution to, to address it, but how do you overcome the barriers of where, which budget does it come from? It's not something you budgeted for a year ago and now you need to. How do you, how do you even plan for that? How do you implement it? You probably don't have technical people or staff members who are experts in a new solution that gets around a remote workforce. So where do those human beings come from? And, you know, best practices also tie around um, giving thought leadership into how maybe would you start to change some of your organizational governance requirements, things like security, access to data, things you would never let outside of your corporate walls before. Now you Mm. have to provide the thought leadership around things you might want to reassess. You know, you've had rules in place for a decade. Maybe you go back and reassess some of your compliance requirements so that you can be successful in this new environment. Yeah. Creating good thought leadership content is not easy, right? It, it, you, I mean, a lot of people put stuff out there that they call thought leadership and you read it and you're like, mm, I've read this before, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not sure it's really leading any conversations, which is, I think why, uh, remember I saw a study a while ago done by LinkedIn and I can't remember who they did it with. It might've been Gartner or like one of those kind of companies. And it looked at thought leadership. And one of the key data points was that decision makers very much value thought leadership, but they, that they rate most of the so-called thought leadership content that they consume as average at best. And a lot of it mm-hmm. below average and only a tiny percentage did they rate like truly good. So, which, you know, just means that, a lot of the stuff that's out there is not that great. And then it's not easy to do. And if it was, everybody would do it. So, you know, what are your thoughts on that? What are the keys to creating the kind of thought leadership content that that rises above? There's a few really kind of discrete items that really jumped to mind for me there. Um, first, whether it's a company like Gartner but or someone like them that is well-respected, well-trusted, that organizations know that they have a good analytical approach to the recommendations they make, getting them not just on board, but evangelizing is, is a really important piece. So, you know, a company who's selling a service is not ever going to be as trusted with their thought leadership as a third party who really is mm. relatively um, sitting in the middle. And so I think that's important, you know, that you aren't just trying to push your thought leadership from a company trying to sell something. And then I think the next piece is it has to be data-driven, that hmm. thought leadership where it's opinions versus thought leadership that really is driven around data of either a certain percentage of human beings are struggling with this or a certain amount of savings can be accomplished by this or a certain amount of risk is incurred without doing it, whatever it is. I think data helps a lot, at least for me personally. There's a lot of uncertainty on what's fact versus fiction in media right now, you know, as you think yeah. about press and things like that news. And so people are suspicious and they're suspicious. If you're selling something, they're suspicious if there's not data that really proves the real trend. So I think those two things are super important in thought leadership. Yeah, hundred percent. I it's, I, and it's interesting you brought up, you know, like the media and I think COVID has been a really interesting case there, right? Mm-hmm. It's pretty well documented that a lot of people, I guess I'll just say Americans have, at least according to the data, like according to polls, have lost a lot of faith in institutions and like reporting. And I think a lot of it has to do with claims being made about COVID or, or restrictions or whatever 
that are not necessarily supported by data or the data even seem to point in a different direction or it's not clear. It's that's a good way to lose people's trust. Right. When you say and a thing and you're like, well, how do you, how do you know that? Where's the yeah. data? And they're like, we well, just know it. Yeah. Or <laughs> you look at the data and it's like, wow, the data that I find doesn't support that at all. You know? Right. And so people want to be able to see the data. They want to be able to draw their own conclusions. They don't want you to draw them for them, but they certainly don't have the ability to pull that data up themselves. So helping them with here's data, here's some conclusions we draw, but make your own choice. I think that really does help in thought leadership. And it, it is, people aren't as trusting as they were 10 years ago, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Like what you just said, it's not necessarily all the time. We have the answer. We have solved the problem and here's the data to prove it. It might be, here's our take on this, but here's the data. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Mm-hmm. You know, there, there can be different ways of interpreting these things. The beauty is there's so much data out there now. I mean, yeah. there's data sets everywhere. If you just have some tools to help kind of gather them, wrap them up, present them in an interesting way, that helps people a lot. And it, it, it is a key component, I believe, to effective thought leadership. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's a good point, too. I mean, you, you, you don't necessarily need to generate your own original research right. and, and data derived from it, right? Like not right. everyone necessarily can do that. Like you said, there's lots of data out there on just about every topic. Mm-hmm. And if you're willing to kind of wade into it and then find some interesting patterns and help mm-hmm. other people understand it, right, then that can yeah. be pretty powerful. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And I think which brings up another element of good thought leadership that the data is out there for anyone to see. So it really comes down to if you're a marketer, what do you do with that data? How do you tell compelling stories using the data to help make your points? Like, how do you package it in a way that's going to really align with the needs and interests of your audience, right? Mm -hmm. One of the challenges, I think, as a marketer today is there is data coming from so many places. The advent of, for the marketing tech stack of SaaS tools just accelerated over 10 years. It was all of a sudden, you couldn't open your email or your LinkedIn or however people communicate with you without seeing Here's the new way that you can nurture. Here's the new way you can optimize your SEO. And there's just so many tools out there. And um, as you select your marketing stack, which is important, what is the tech stack you're going to use? You also have to figure out how are you going to integrate your data from all those points? Because you know, one of the problems that we ran right. into was now I have 20 SaaS tools in my, my marketing stack that are generating data or information about who's been on my website, what is the mm-hmm. buyer interest? What is the customer journey engagement? You know, all these different things. And integrating that data into something useful is is actually very hard. So, so you know, you ask kind of what data do you look at? What data do you present? It comes down to probably this proliferation of lots of different tools and applications isn't helpful. And you can go back to it almost, you know, kind of coincidentally in lines with what you were talking about at the beginning that, there's a few companies who have access to the majority of data of what's going on in the world, whether you like it or not, it's true. Yeah, Facebook, right. LinkedIn, right. Instagram, you know, like there you have billions and billions of data points and a lot of that data is available. And so accessing these massive amounts of data from the people who really have access to it and haven't tweaked it, haven't um, done anything except present what the data is, is very helpful for informing yeah. decisions. And yeah. that's true for a vendor. You know, I sell stuff as a living, but as a user, a consumer, a reseller partner. So that, that's a big piece of what we looked at is not creating any more data than we absolutely have to because we're small 
compared to the data set sizes that a company much bigger than us can create. So use their data. Yeah. Interesting. So does that mean, like, what do you think generally, or you can just, you know, say specifically for your team, does it take a special kind of like training or knowledge to be able to look at the data and make sense of it and use it? Or is it kind of common sense? Like, or is it worth like pursuing certain kinds of training to really know what you're doing? As a marketer. I think I do think as a marketer you need that. I, I don't really know how we can do our jobs at scale without access to a data scientist. They know how to take twenty data sets, put them together, smush them together into one data set, and then ask interesting questions about it. So as a marketing leader, having a great data scientist that I have access to, whether they're on my team, they're somewhere else in the organization, or even somebody you consult with who just helps you with this. And you tell yeah. them, here's the things I'm interested in knowing. I have these five questions that I want answered. And then they know how to work with the data to be able to give you those answers. I, I, I Unless you have Python data science skills, I actually don't think you can do it when you're dealing with massive mm. amounts of data. Yeah. Okay. So, so really just sort of having the data is only the first step in a way. You have to have <laughs> someone who can work with it and then have the marketing people who can take what they give you and package it and deliver it and do that and then rinse and repeat, yeah. keep doing it. And an interesting, it goes both ways. The data scientists may know how to grab information and results out data, but they don't know what questions to ask. If yeah, you just send right. them off on their own, they'll find interesting insights that maybe aren't relevant at all to your marketing or your content strategy. So it's important you work together that I know as a marketer what I want to be able to, the ideal questions I would like answered, give that direction and help have them point them in the right direction. Right, because you know your audience, right. and that's your job, to know your audience, and the yeah. data scientist, you know, shouldn't expect him to know, or him or them or her or whoever to know mm -hmm. that, right? So, yeah, 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 definitely needs to be like a, a collaboration. So, what's an example of something you guys have been doing at Hammerspace along these lines, kind of thought leadership type content supported by data that you think has worked my favorite thing. We're a relatively early stage, small company. I've worked in much, much, much bigger companies. And that's where I get the luxury of having data scientists on staff versus having to leverage a consultant, things like that. But at the early stage where Hammerspace is right now, what we've really seen work really well is starting with a perception audit, understanding for your target audience, who's very well de defined, this, this person in this vertical with this use case, what is their key pain point? Then working with my analyst, the analyst who I work with, Gartner is one of them along with others and saying, hey, okay, so we have customers who are really interested or prospects who are really interested in these two or three data points. Have you done research? Have you done budgeting trend surveys? Whatever it is, because they probably have and go ask them to help me with what is the data around what are their peers doing? Where are their peers getting their budgets? Where are their peers looking for information, rolling that into my marketing. So that kind of starts with customer voice, then industry data, and then rolling that into, okay, and then of course, how can my company help to solve it? But it starts with that very difficult challenge of the outside in, starting from the outside was the pain mm -hmm. point, using others' perspectives, others' data, and then kind of landing on how can we help you? And so just starting that on every use case that we focus on. So classic ABM, account-based marketing, where you're targeting a very specific type of person and a very specific type of organization and being able to speak to them very clearly on the pain points they have, giving them data and then giving them a solution to look at. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Thanks for that great example. So just finally wrapping up, what would be 
your advice for you know any marketing team that that wants to get more involved with data and, and and they want to create content that's more backed by data how do you how do you take the first step down that path the first thing i would do is take a look and do the kind of painful budgeting exercise of looking at how many SaaS tools you're paying for in a year and it's probably mm. dozens Mm-hmm. And figuring out, is there a way for you to integrate the data from all of those? And there's probably not, unless you have a massive data science team. And then looking at what are the tools that work together? So internal tools like your CRM, your marketing nurture, how do you integrate those? And then which data sources are you going to pull from? And making sure that they're consistent. So if I pull from a survey from Gartner one time and a survey from IDC another time and a survey from LinkedIn another time, you're using different data sets, not to say that they're all right or wrong, but when you start using different data, your conclusions become different. So kind of just align mm. on what are my tools, make sure they're integrated and which data sets am I going to pull from and then stick with it, have kind of the perseverance to stick with it so that you can show trends over time. Hey, you know, I use this data set this quarter, a quarter from now, the same data set has changed in this way. What, what, mm. what's, why is that interesting? What, what do I want to promote around that? Instead of kind of picking and choosing the data set that tells the story you want, pick and choose mm. a data set you're going to stick with for a while so you can tell a really true story. Wow, that's really great advice. Great insight. Because it is well, tempting. Search around for the data set that right. tells the story you want to tell. And maybe it's different from the one you told right. six months ago. And if anybody's looking too closely, they go, mm, that's not really what you said. And that, well, you well, that's kind of so, starting with the conclusion and then yeah. looking for data to back it up. It's exactly rather than letting the data lead you where it, it where the truth is and then yes. working with reality. Yeah, indeed. Well, great, great insight. Well, Molly, thank you so much for a great conversation. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, this was really fun. Thank you so much for inviting me. That's it for this episode of engage your tribe. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over the top comment about how much you love the podcast. You know, you want to. If you're a marketer or an internal communicator and you're interested in podcasting, we've got tons of free resources on the website at tribknowledge.com. That's T-R-I-B knowledge.com. Thanks for listening and staying engaged.